0: An organization called Citizens Against Government Waste once aired a thought-provoking television commercial with a futuristic theme. The year is 2030 AD. The setting is a seminar in Beijing, China with a speaker and a large crowd. The speaker begins, Why do great nations fall? The ancient Greeks, the Roman Empire, the British Empire, and the United States of America. They all make the same mistakes, turning their back on the principles that made them great. Whatever the reasons for the precipitous fall of powerful regimes in human history, one thing is true, no nation or empire lasts forever. Galatians six and verse seven warns, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. I'm Ron Jones and this is Something Good.
1: How can an entire nation return to God? One repentant soul at a time. Hello, welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. I'm Brian Davis, thanks for stopping by. The book of 2 Kings is partially a tale of Israel's rebellion against God. The nation first becomes divided into two kingdoms. For most of that 400 year period, with very few exceptions, both kingdoms did evil in the sight of the Lord. And ultimately, Israel was taken into captivity. Ron takes us back to this period in Israel's history next as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Stay with us now or look for us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, Second Kings, The Decline and Captivity of a Nation.
0: Jehu, who I just mentioned, reigned for 28 years and was the king with the most promise. I say Wahoo for Jehu in the Northern Kingdom. Say that with me. Wahoo for Jehu. Now, you got to say it with enthusiasm, all right? Wahoo for Jehu. I got it from an old Sunday school teacher years ago. When I came out of college, I was in uh, Dallas, Texas, and starting seminary, and I joined this church, and this Sunday school teacher was part of the uh, counseling group after the service, and he was meeting with me about, you know, becoming a member of the church. He stood about this tall, but I remember a Sunday school lesson he taught. He titled it Wahoo for Jehu, all right? He was also the guy, by the way, who said to me after the little counseling session, I can pray for you for two weeks. I'll put you on my, my prayer list for two weeks, but then I've got to move on. And I thought, fine, I'll take two weeks, you know, whatever it is. Wahoo for Jehu. Say it with me again Wahoo for Jehu. Well, Elisha sent his student from uh, one of the schools of prophets with a flask of oil and said, Go to Jehu, anoint him with oil and instruct him that his first royal duty is to strike the house of Ahab. You remember Ahab, the wicked king in the north, and his even more wicked queen, Jezebel. Well, they were still around at this time. Not in power, but still around, and their descendants were there. Well, Jehu received his anointing uh, with great zeal carried out his royal duties, including the brutal execution of the former queen Jezebel in fulfillment of Elijah's prophecy in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 17. God doesn't forget, and eventually justice came. And the Lord rewarded Jehu for his obedience by placing his sons on the throne in Israel for four more generations, but they were as wicked as wicked could be. Jehu gets credit for getting rid of Baal worship in Israel, brought in by King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. But his reforms did not go far enough. Remember when Jeroboam came to the north and he built those pagan worship sites with golden calves in Bethel and Dan? Well, Jehu uh, left those in place, and they proved uh, troublesome for Israel. He left the door open for wickedness and um, generations after that, ran back to the ways of Jeroboam. Uh, The kings in the north are always compared to the standard of wickedness set by Jeroboam. The kings in the south are always compared to the standard of righteousness set by King David. And that's an interesting study. Eventually, the Lord's patience ran out, and he began handing... Israel over to her enemies in the northern kingdom until eventually the Assyrians came in 731 B.C. And that's the last you ever hear of the northern kingdom. They're never brought back together again. Nine separate royal dynasties rise and fall in Israel, the northern kingdom, each one securing power by killing off what remained of the former, until there was nothing left in the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom lasted for more than a century longer. There's only one dynasty that held power in Judah, with Jerusalem as the capital. You can guess which dynasty that is. That's the Davidic dynasty. And every king that reigned in the southern kingdom in Judah was a descendant of David. It was God's way of preserving the messianic line and reminding us that he's not limited by human failure. You see, before the divided kingdom, when it was a United Kingdom, following Solomon's wickedness, uh, the the, the Davidic dynasty would have been threatened because they wiped out the former family. That couldn't happen, and so the divided kingdom was in one sense a measure of God's judgment and his discipline and his justice, but also a way of isolating the Davidic kingdom in the south and preserving the Messianic line all the way to Bethlehem, which Matthew highlights in his genealogical record in Matthew chapter 1. What what an amazing way that despite the unfaithfulness of God's people, God's plan marches forward, and he isolates the Davidic dynasty down here all the way to Bethlehem. Um, Even so, only eight of David's 20 royal descendants, and they have 20 kings in the south. Only eight of them did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, two of them led reforms that are worth noting, and you read about in 2 Kings. King Hezekiah and King Josiah. Uh, six years before the overthrow of Israel's capital in Samaria, Hezekiah becomes king of Judah in the south. And he was a good king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, led many positive spiritual reforms. He was a faith-filled person. And because of that, God spared Judah from the Assyrians in the north and prospered the uh, southern kingdom for a while. But Hezekiah's son was Manasseh. And Manasseh reigned after Hezekiah. And he reigned For 55 years, that's a long reign, and he rejected his father's faith and led the southern kingdom, Israel, back into the idolatrous ways of her past, and uh, all of that contributed eventually to Judah's uh, downfall and their captivity. Uh, The Babylonians were coming eventually. Two generations later, after Manasseh, King Josiah sits on the throne, and he assumes the throne at the age of eight. Josiah is a fabulous study. They had regents that, that led the nation for him until he came of age. The best guess is probably in his late teens. He assumes power. And Josiah sends a servant to kind of clean up uh, the temple. And uh, the servant discovers the law of God, brings it back to King Josiah, reads it in his presence. And King Josiah tears his clothes in repentance, realizing just how far the nation has turned away from God. And King Josiah leads reforms a bright spot in the southern kingdom, but it only lasted for a generation. And then four more kings follow in a period of a little bit more than a decade before divine judgment falls upon Judah in the form of three Babylonian deportations, the last of which happened in 586 B.C. when King Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem, besieged Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, grabbed Daniel and his three friends, off to Babylon they go for 70 years. Years. There's no remnant left in the northern kingdom, but after 70 years, there's a remnant that goes back to Jerusalem under the leadership of Ezra the priest, Nehemiah the builder. We'll get to those books in a few weeks, and they start rebuilding their broken lives. Whew, take a deep breath. That's a lot of history. But here's the question. Why do great nations fall? For example, why did the mighty Roman Empire fall? You ever studied that in history? Historians differ on their assessment. Was Rome invaded by barbarian tribes? Did they overexpand, overspend, overtax their people? Did government corruption and political instability contribute to Rome's notorious decline? Yeah, probably all of that is in the mix. But from God's perspective, great nations crumble from within because they do what is evil in his eyes. And all of the rest of it is circumstantial. I'm not the first to wonder, is the United States of America in decline? It took Rome a hundred years to fall. Historians, you know, mark out about a hundred years of their decline. The only hope for a nation in spiritual decline then and now... And even for us today is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Which is why I want to finish our study of Second Kings by going to Second Kings chapter five. And just reminding us of a story about a guy named Naaman the Leper.
1: We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good Message from Dr. Ron Jones lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Something Good Radio is a 100% listener-supported ministry. We depend on your prayers and financial support to help Ron share the gospel of Jesus Christ through these radio and internet broadcasts. When you give this month, we want to say thank you with a brand new resource from the ministry of Dr. Ron Jones. An e-book that goes along with this current series titled, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. The second of eight e-books in the series is based on the Old Testament historical books, Joshua through Esther. And it's our gift to you for your gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or you can mail your gift to us, P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices 757-276-1099. Now let's join Ron for the rest of today's Something Good radio message Second Kings, The Decline and Captivity of a Nation.
0: I call it the gospel according to Naaman. and Let me explain why. Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Syria. He, he was a pretty important guy and he did his job well, he was called a great man, a man of high favor, a mighty man of valor in the scriptures, but Naaman, (laughs) Naaman was a leper. He had been inflicted with this horrible flesh-eating disease called leprosy. Now keep in mind that leprosy in the Bible is a picture of our sin, all right, just kinda mark that in the back of your mind. Uh, the king of Syria, when he learned about Naaman's leprosy, the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel and sends some gold and some silver along, probably some bribe money just to warm up the king of Israel's heart. And he says to the king of Israel, will you help my man Naaman the leper? Will you heal him? And the king of uh, Israel says, who am I? Who am I to heal this guy? I, I'm nobody. I'm just a king. Well, apparently Elijah overheard, or Elisha overheard the conversation And Elisha says to the king of Israel, send him to me, send him to me. And through a servant, Elisha's servant, Elisha sends word through his servant to Naaman that here's what you need to do. Go down to the Jordan River, dip yourself in the river seven times, not once, not twice, not three and a half times, but seven times, and you'll be cleaned of your leprosy. Well, Naaman, again, an important guy in Syria, he was incensed. He was insulted that Elisha sent his servant to deliver the news. He says, I'm Naaman, the commander. At least the prophet can come and tell me this face to face. And besides all of that, why the dirty, filthy uh, Jordan River in Israel? Don't we have good rivers here in Syria near Damascus? And, and, and Naaman, full of pride and incense, starts to leave still a leper, and that's when a couple of his servants pull him aside and said, listen, Naaman, commander, I I think you need to, you know, think twice about what the prophet told you to do. Just go down to the river and dip yourself, and Naaman takes a deep breath, and the Bible says he went down to the Jordan River, just as the prophet told him to do through his servant, and dipped himself once, dipped himself twice, By the third time, I'm wondering if he's wondering, is this gonna work? Because each time he comes up and he looks at his hands, and the leprosy is still there. But the prophet said seven times, four, five, six. His heart is racing by now. He dips the seventh time. He comes up out of the water, looks at his hands. He's clean. The leprosy is gone. Why do I call this the gospel according to Naaman? Because it's a beautiful picture not only of our sin condition. We're all stricken with spiritual leprosy. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. But do you want to be clean? you want to be healed? you want to be forgiven? Don't come with your pride and say, no, it has to be done this way. Lay aside your pride. Humble yourself. And do what the Bible says you do. You come to the cross as a humble sinner in need of a Savior. I don't care if you're a king, a prime minister, a CEO executive. I don't care how important you are in the eyes of the world. Everybody comes as a humble sinner in need of a Savior. And you do exactly what Jesus says to do. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. You come and kneel as a humble sinner and ask for God's forgiveness. Ask by faith for the free gift of eternal life that is made possible only by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no other river to dip yourself in but the river of the blood of Jesus Christ that flows from Calvary. Lay aside your pride and just humble yourself. Come as he invites you to come. You don't know better than him. You can go dip yourself in your Damascus River. You can do it 70 times and you're still gonna come up a leper. But Naaman was smart enough, wise enough, He calmed down enough to do what the prophet told him to do. About 6.15 this morning, on my way here, I get a text message from a pastor friend of mine. Uh, He's been a great encouragement to me here in the area, and I hope I've reciprocated and been an encouragement to him. But he says, Ron, I, I woke up this morning, and the Lord put you on my heart, and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. He he didn't know anything about power outages and a a coffee maker that didn't work and stumbling around in the dark. And I don't think the Lord was the least bit concerned, well, maybe a little bit, about a warm shower for the pastor and (laughs) coffee. Otherwise, I might have been a little grouchy this morning, and you would go, well, what happened to the pastor? No, I, I think the Lord's up to something else today. I think there's a soul to save, maybe two or three or four or five. There are some Naamans out there, here in person, online, and today is a day of salvation. Yes. Yes. Today's the day you humble yourself. Yes. How many prophets does God need to send? How many messages do you need to hear? We can dance. We can entertain. Wow. Wow. We can say it to you straight, but at the end of the day, you're in different prideful heart is getting in the way of just coming and doing what Jesus says to do, what he has offered so graciously to us. The free gift of eternal life, forgiveness, cleansing, a home in heaven. But there's one way. There's one river. Uh, There's not three and a half dips I am the way, the truth, yes. and the life. No man comes to the Father but yes. by me. Amen. Yes. Just humble yourself and come and make this a day of salvation. Why do great nations fall? Because the people in those nations, sometimes even God's people, do what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. And despite calls to repentance, they continue in their evil ways. How do we prevent great nations from falling? It happens one humble, repentant soul at a time. Let's begin today. I'll make a deal with you. I'll pray this prayer if you pray this prayer and mean it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting and he will lead you to that everlasting way he will lead you to the cross because the cross of Christ is the way to eternal life the cross of Christ is the way to the sanctified life to the abundant life for the believer in Jesus starts at the cross and I invite you to come today
1: Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, Second Kings, the decline and captivity of a nation. Ron, as you mentioned once or twice during the past couple of days, America can be said to be heading in much the same direction as Israel during the time of Second Kings. What can we do to help reverse this alarming trend as Christian people and as ambassadors of Christ on earth? Brian, I'll answer that question by
0: talking about the thing we should perhaps not do, and that is attack the sinner for their sin. It is of little use to actively condemn those who celebrate same-sex marriage, for example, by reminding them over and over again that God hates same-sex marriage. It's of little use uh, to systematically attack those who champion abortion by telling them God hates abortion or that abortion is murder. Now, these things are true, But there is a difference between being right and being wise, a difference between being correct and being beneficial. We can't truly lead sinners to repentance by lording their sin over them, by browbeating them into a decision for Christ. That just doesn't work. And at times we spend too much time pointing out the problems instead of offering the solution. Perhaps an illustration will help, Brian. If your lower back, for example, is bothering you, you may go to a chiropractor or to a physical therapist to fix the problem. And quite often what they'll do is start working on your neck. They will almost never begin by attacking the area that is keeping you from full health. Why? Well, because the solution is higher up. And it's the same way here. The solution to the depths of our sin problem is always higher up. Instead of lording the world's sin over it, we should find ways to point to the solution. Now it can be beneficial to say all have sinned, but to say you have sinned can sometimes backfire and damage the relationship, especially if that's where our message begins and ends. And so I wanna encourage the church here in America to stop fighting with the world and start leading it to Christ. When dealing with those who do not yet know Christ, Uh, Let's uh, talk far more about the solution than we do the problem. Now, it's important to diagnose the sin problem, don't get me wrong. But let's get quickly to God's remedy in Jesus Christ. From what I can see, uh, too many of us are doing just the opposite. Now, Brian, Jesus is our model. Let's watch how he engaged with the world and imitate him. Fighting fire with fire sometimes just creates more fire. We need to start fighting fire with water the living water,
1: who is Christ himself. That's Dr. Ron Jones with a few final thoughts from today's message, Second Kings, The Decline and Captivity of a Nation. Well, Ron, as usual, the clock is winding down, but let's talk for a moment about where you're headed tomorrow here on Something Good Radio.
0: Sure thing, Brian. Our next stop on the ultimate road trip through the Bible is the book of First Chronicles. Now, the first nine chapters are dedicated to a genealogy, something the Israelites took very seriously, but something that might bore the modern reader to death. But beyond uh, the genealogy, there is plenty of historical and biographical information that any reader would find fascinating. In fact, 1 Chronicles covers the same period of time that Samuel and Kings covers, but it does so from a different perspective and to a new generation of Israelites. In the end, 1 Chronicles is ultimately about a return to our spiritual roots, thus the genealogy. Uh, plenty of practical lessons we can learn from this book. And it all begins next time right here on Something Good Radio.
1: That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones takes us to the book of First Chronicles in his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.